Um, hey, so glad to have you with us today, though. Um, and it is Mother's Day. If you didn't know, if you didn't know, that's really weird. But happy Mother's Day. And hey, I just want to take a second to just say um, to all the moms, really all the ladies out there, um, that we, yeah, this we made kind of today, today big. We got the scones, we got the tea, the quartet, um, the pictures. And, and it's really just a small gesture from us so that you would at least just be able to know how much here at New Life we love you, how much we care about you, and how much we appreciate all that you do. Not just all you do for your families, we know that, um, but all that you do to make New Life special, that we wouldn't be able to do it if it wasn't for the women who, um, who help and who the moms here that serve this place. So thank you so much for making this, this this great. I wish we could do this every single week, um, but hey, how about once a year? We'll just call it again. <laughs> just kidding. But hey, um, hey, they mentioned this last week, but our, our announcements. But we are we're really thrilled about next weekend. It is our um, it's our summer kickoff party, and we just want to celebrate the fact that summer is here. And so um, if, if, if it's your first time this week, you come back, we'll give you something free next week, uh, free food from our food truck. Or if you bring someone who's, it's their first time, um, just our way of saying we're so glad that they're here, um, we'll give them free food from a food truck. And then we also have inflatables. And we have inflatables for people of all ages. For the little kids, we've got inflatables. For the older kids, we have inflatables, and for those who wish they were still kids, we also have inflatables for you, and so you don't want to miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun for us just to get together, have a good time, and, uh, and celebrate summer. But we're sitting there in teaching team this week, and we were talking about moms, and like the things that moms are really like good at doing, and we came up with all kinds of things, okay, all kinds of things, uh, but one of the things that we came up with was moms are really, really good at catching us when we are doing things we know we shouldn't be doing, right? So I, I posted on Facebook, I was like, hey, can someone give me some stories about your mom catching you doing something you shouldn't? 40 comments and one video later, we came up with a lot of stuff, okay? And these are just five of the first ones that I saw that were some of my favorites uh, that I want to share with you examples of moms catching uh, their kids doing things that um, maybe they shouldn't be doing. First one's from Lindsay Page. I like it. I may or may not have snuck out of my teenage years and came back to my mom asleep in my bed. I was terrified. Okay, now that is a gift. Okay, parents, and this, that's a smart move. You get asleep and you get to catch your kid. That is, that is the definition of winning. Her mom, two thumbs up right there. Okay, the next one. Uh, the next one is from Krista Gore, and I just picked this one because it's strange, okay? I, I tell my students about when I was in third grade, and I lied to our neighbor and told him my mom said I could take as many boxes of Cheez-Its as I could fit in my wagon. I read that correctly. For whatever reason, he had an entire porch filled with boxes of Cheez-Its. We all need more friends like this guy. I took a wagon's full and hid them in a treehouse, mom found out after weeks of me not eating dinner. <laughs> what in the world? All right, here's uh, this one's from Mark Monroe. <clears throat> I had my entire kindergarten class and teacher convinced that I had a pet deer named Bambi that lived in a field by my house. I was the hit of show and tell with all of my stories about that deer, and it was great until the teacher asked my mom 
if she could bring the deer to school for the kids to see. My punishment was that I had to confess the truth to the teacher and there'd be no more stories about that deer. She never found out about the new pet raccoon I got a few weeks later, though. Sometimes mom's going to catch you doesn't mean that you're going to learn. All right. This one's funny because it's Kathy. This one makes me laugh so hard, okay? Because um, like, this is like Home Alone too. Like You think this is a good idea. My mom caught me going down the clothes chute at my house. It made so much noise that it was an easy catch. But it wasn't as fun as I thought it would be. If there had been more clothes in the pile, the landing would not have hurt so much. A valuable lesson learned. Mom laughs about it now, but it wasn't too funny back then. No, Kathy, it was really funny back then. It was really funny back then. All right, last one from Kirsten Shore. Uh, I was at the bowling alley in a short skirt and a lower top while spending the night with a friend. We were on our way out. I thought I'd gotten away with it. My mom's ma- as my mom's van pulls up, I instantly start pulling the shirt up and the skirt down. She didn't even get out. The van had a push opener to the door. Not a word was spoken. Just buy friends for a month. Because when mom catches you doing something you shouldn't be doing, she doesn't have to say a word. She just opens the door and you get in the van. I mean, it's true. Like, right? Like, there's just some things. Like, moms are good. They catch you and and let that be a lesson to us, right? And, and though that's like, that's it, that's true, like, here's the truth, okay? As we look at our text this morning, this is the idea that's communicated. Is that in the same way that, like, mom catches us when we're doing things we know we shouldn't be doing. That when you think about your life, there are things that we all know God wants us to do. But if he were to show up into our world what he would probably find is that we're not doing those things that we all know that we should be doing. Look at this. This is in in, in the book of Micah in our Old Testament. This is him speaking, okay? He says in Micah 6, verse 8, He, God, has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Now this is pretty straightforward, right? That what he's saying, he's saying, okay, there are just some things, like, you, you know what is good. You know what the Lord requires of you, that you can, you can pretend like it's mysterious, but really deep down, there are just some things that as hard as we try, we can't explain away. So we know that what he's getting ready to say are things that are obvious that we all know that we should be doing. And so let's look at those things. I'll start it again at the beginning. He has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, because it's Mother's Day, we're going to focus on kindness, to lo- like love kindness and walk humbly, because it just kind of feels like Mother's Day, okay? It does say justice, we'll leave that for Father's Day, okay? Because justice just feels like dad. But those are, those are things that we would say, okay? You know, you should do. We all know we should 
kindness and walk humbly. But if God were to walk into our lives and watch us live, he wouldn't even have to say a word. He could just open the van door and we'd probably have to get in the van. And, and so what do we do? So I just, I really want to focus on those two phrases there, to, to love kindness and to walk humbly this morning. And, and as we talk about really to love kindness, it's really important because kindness is one of those words that we, it's really easy for us to think of just kindness in our context. So when we think of the word kindness, we think of something like giving someone a hot tea on a cold day. Like that is kind. And, and honestly, God would love for you to start a tea ministry giving people like hot tea on a cold day. But, but there's a little bit more to it than that. Because that, that, that phrase, to love kindness, is a he, it comes from a Hebrew word that is actually talking about God's covenant faithfulness to us. And, and so really that word could be better translated, steadfast love. So, so what he is saying there, is he saying, you need to realize how much God loves you. And you need to show that same type of love to other people. So, so to take the, the cup of tea illustration, that, that God gives us a cup of tea, and what we do is we spit on him and throw it back in his face. And God's response to that well, that's the word that's used there. And God's response to that is to clean the glass and look for another opportunity to give you tea. That that, that is how he loves us. And in the same way, really that's how we need to love other people. And And here's the thing really easy to post that, like, right, on the internet. Like, we need to love God, like, like we need to love people like God loves us. This is great. I don't know if anyone's going to disagree with that. But in theory, we're all probably okay. But if we really think about what that looks like in practice, that we would all have to realize that none of us are as good at that as we think we are. I mean, just, just think about how he loves you. He loves you at your worst. At your very worst, he loves you. Those things that you have hidden from everybody else in the world, you've never been able to hide from him. And he sees them, and he still loves you. So let me read this to you. This is in Romans chapter 5. It says that God that God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Like, that's, I mean, for us, that's beautiful. But if we were to look at it for maybe how we flesh this out sometimes, we probably flesh that out by, we could say, like, we show our love for other people when we see their potential. That we, we show our love 
to people when we realize how they can benefit us. That even if you were to think about the relationships in your life, I'm sure we probably all have friends who are maybe needy and difficult. You don't need to point at them if they're in the room, but we all know they're there, okay? You, you probably pick those relationships, not because they're needy, not because they're difficult, but you pick those relationships because of what they can bring to you when those relationships are at their best. That, that you choose people because of what they can bring during the good. And here's what we have to realize. That is not how God picks us. He doesn't pick us because of what we can bring at our best. He picks us because of what we need at our worst. That, that while we were still sinners, that on our worst day, that Jesus said, I am going to show my love for them because of their worst day. That that is how he loves us, and that is how we should love others. The other thing you see here, as we think about God's love for us, is that we have to be very aware, as we think of his love for us, we have to be very aware that he gets nothing from the relationship. And you might be thinking, he gets me. Well, he doesn't need you. And if you're thinking that, he really doesn't need you. Just kidding. But, but he, he, doesn't, he doesn't need us. That he's not in heaven thinking, man, I just wish I had more people. But, but we risk, like he just goes after, just so that we can experience his love. That he loves us solely for our benefit. Like, think about how crazy that is. It's not about what he can get. It's about all of what he can give. That there's nothing that we have that he needs. Look at how Paul says this in the book of Romans. He says this. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has ever been his counselor? Or who has ever given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. That in himself he has all he needs. But he loves us. For us. And, and, and though this is true, he loves us at our worst, pursues, like, he, he pursues us. It's not like he's surprised by what we, but he knows. That even though he knows us at our worst, even though he doesn't get anything out of the relationship, he chases us. That he, even if you're here and like you don't have a relationship with God, 
and, and maybe you're here and you kind of even feel like God is like speaking to you and you don't know what's happening. Like, think of how nuts that is. That he wants you to know him so badly just so that you can have experienced the benefit of a relationship with him. And he will pursue you. I love the way that Jesus talks about it. He says this in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 19. He says, for the Son of Man, when he says the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, for, for, for I came to seek and to save the lost. But in that word seek, that means he finds, he finds, he's looking, he's pursuing the lost. He saves. And just like think about that kind of love. A love that loves at its worst. A, a love that doesn't get anything out of it in return. And a love that pursues those who need it. That's how he loves us. And that's how we should love other people. That God, God did not come up with all the reasons he shouldn't love you. But instead, he chased you. He wooed you. He wanted you. And, and because of that love, that that's what we have to do for others. That because he loves us like this, we are to love others in the same way. And even if you're here, and maybe that's hard for you, I would guess that it's probably hard for you because you just really haven't thought a lot about how much he loves you. Because you cannot be loved that much by someone like him without responding in loving other people. So one of Jesus' disciples, he says this, and it's, it's really beautiful. He says this in 1 John chapter 4. He says, we love because he first loved us. That we love others because we were first loved by him. Says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he, he, whom he has seen cannot love a God whom he hasn't seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. That this is what we're to do. That we're not to come up with reasons why we shouldn't. That we need to be like God and come up with reasons why we should. I really like the way that, that Peter Craigie, he fleshes this out. Let me read it to you here. He says this. He says, talking about this, to love kindness, it's mentioned in Micah. He says, it gives where no giving is required. It acts when no action is deserved. And it penetrates both attitudes and activities. I like that because sometimes we do the right thing with the wrong heart. And to love kindness is to do the right things with the right heart. 
To love kindness is to look at the weak and the vulnerable with the eyes of God's love and give them not what they deserve, but what they need. I just go back to Micah 6 8. He's told you, O oh man, what is good. What does he require of you? This. This is how he wants you to treat people. This is how he, he doesn't want you to come up with reasons not to show love, not to show kindness, not to be. No, he, he, he wants you to love. So to love kindness. And then we see this next phrase, and it's to walk humbly. So, so you know what you're supposed to do? To love kindness and then to walk humbly. And, and you could use the word humbly. You could say circumspectly. You could say carefully. Um, really, all of those things would, would communicate the same idea. But the idea is here is that this is someone who, in view of who God is, carefully looks at their life. In view of who God is, they carefully look at their life and they live their life in relation to what he asks of them to do. That it is incredibly humble to say, you know what, I don't know what's best, but I know that he does. It's, it's humble to say, as much as I might think I have all the answers, I'm actually going to trust the one who does. It, it's, it's humble when you look at your life and what God wants, and it's different than what you might want, but it, it's incredibly humble to look at that and to say, okay, this might be what I want, but this is what God says, and I'm going to go ahead and do what he says. And, and as I was thinking about that, there's a great example of this with Jesus' mom. A lot of us are familiar with the birth of Christ, thanks Christmas story. And, and it's one of those things, that because we're 2,000 years removed from it, that we romanticize it. That we think of Mary, and we're like, that's so cute. Oh my gosh, there were animals there. Like, and, and if you really were to put yourself in Mary's shoes, what she is being asked by God is something that is incredibly difficult. That to say, I will be the mother of Jesus, I will be the mother of the Messiah, like, I would just guess that when she was born, that wasn't her plan for her life. I were, I, if I had to guess, I would guess that that, that that news probably caught her off guard that day. That, that even when that came to her brain, or the, when the angel shows up and tells her that, I would bet that she's starting to think through all the challenges that might come from giving birth to the Messiah, oh, by the way, she's a virgin. And so her telling this story and her accepting God's will for her could very easily her, be her saying, okay, I am going to accept that I will be a laughingstock for the rest of my life in every town that I go into. 
Because just because it was 2,000 years ago, we can't think that people would have believed her when she told that story. Like she had to have been aware of all of these things as it came to her. And though that is true, this is how she responds to the angel. Look at this. Behold, I am, the, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That instead of coming up with all the reasons why she might know better, instead of coming up with all the reasons why she's right, he's wrong, no. She just said, let it be to me according to your word. And that is a picture of walking humbly. There are going to be seasons in your life where God is going to speak to you. And it's not going to line up with what you think is true. And in those seasons, you have to decide who are you going to trust. Are you going to trust him or are you going to trust you? And really, it's, it's your call. I mean, you've got to ask yourself, am I putting myself in a place where God would even speak to me? Am I giving time to him every day where he could shape me and move me in the directions that he wants me to go? What is it that he's at? Like, and, and really, as we talk about walking humbly, that is the first step of getting there, is saying, okay, I'm going to figure out what he says. But I... I would guess. I would guess that, that as we think about being humble in relation to God, that if you're here and you are a believer, this isn't a challenge for you. Like, if you believe in God, like, though I'm not saying we, we obey him all the time, like, we believe he created the world. I think that we understand that we should probably do what he says. The, the challenge isn't there, the challenge with humility comes as we deal with other people. The, the challenge with humility is, okay, how, how do I exercise humility in relation to the people that are around me? And, and I see, like, you know, through my interactions with people, I see Christians... I, I see them in very well-meaning ways misunderstand humility. But sometimes what happens is what people will do in an attempt to be humble is they'll, they do this thing called false humility. And it's where deep down, like you know that you did a good job. But because you're afraid, you say you didn't. So if someone comes up to you, you know you did a good job, and, you, and your response is, no, I, I, that was horrible. Like, but you really don't think that. You just feel like that's what you have to say because you're uncomfortable with people giving you praise. Like, that's not humility. That's not what God's asking for. Actually, when you do that, you're lying. That, that if, even if, if you, like, you do something and you crush it, okay, and you know you crushed it, that it is okay if someone comes up to you and they say, you crushed it. And you say, thank you. Like, you could absolutely say that. You could say, thank you, I really appreciate that. God helped me. Like, there's nothing wrong. But I like C.S. Lewis, he talks about humility. And he says that humility 
it isn't thinking less about yourself. Like, it's not humble to say, I'm a loser. That it's not thinking less about yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. And so, but the way humility fleshes itself out with other people, though, like, that's where we can learn. Like, this is where we can grow. So what a humble person does is a humble person, they consider the needs of others more important than the needs of themselves. That if you're humble, you are going to make the things that are important to other people a priority to you. And this, you figure this out by listening when people talk. That you figure this out by asking people, and then when they tell you, you, you do that. That, this, that is what a humble person will do. Another thing that a humble person does is that a humble person realizes that though someone else's star is shining, it doesn't mean that their star isn't. That, that someone who is humble Someone who's humble can be okay with other people being successful. That a humble person can be okay with other people in the same field as you being successful. And that's challenging. And what I see people do sometimes in an attempt to make it look like they're happy for someone else's success is they'll say, yeah, that's great. And then they'll make a bunch of excuses about why that person is successful. And they'll say that it's because they're happy, but really all they're doing is they're just justifying them being in that position and while they're not there. That a humble person, what they can do is they look at other people's success and they celebrate it. Like sincerely celebrate it. They look at other people who are in the same place at life as them. And a humble person can genuinely pray that God will bless them. But that, that's what humility looks like. That is how that fleshes out. But another thing that, that humble people do is that humble people, they've learned not to compare themselves with others. So you want to look at a surefire way to steal your joy. Just start comparing yourself to other people. Now you might even be one of those people who most of the time when you compare yourself to other people, you think that you're great. Eventually, eventually you're going to find someone who's better. But someone who's humble, they're okay with what other people are doing and they do their thing. So you go back, okay, and it's like, go back to Micah 6, 8. And as you think about that, he has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So look at walking humbly. Think about loving kindness. I would guess that if all of us were to be just really honest, we're not as good as that as we'd like to be. 
But if we were to really think about it, even on our best day, gosh, we've got a long ways to grow. And so how do you, and, and this is the tension that you manage as you talk about things that are going to push us into greater holiness. Because this is something that God would want, but it's something that we're never going to be really like perfect at. So how do you manage that tension? Because I would even guess as I talk about this, maybe you'd be like, I have been walking with God for a really long time. And, and from my heart to the heavens, I am giving this my best shot. And yet for whatever reason, I'm not seeing growth. But man, I sure am trying. The, the, here is the beauty of the gospel. Is that though you try and fail... God isn't going to judge you based on your failures, but if your faith is in Christ, he's going to judge you based on Christ's successes. Look at this here in Romans chapter 3. It's Romans 3, 23, 24. It says this, says, For all have sinned. So it's all, all of us. We've all sinned. We're all sinners. And fall short of the glory of God. And are justified. Notice what we're justified by. We're not justified by our actions. We're not justified by our ability to do the things that he says. No, we are justified that we're put in right standing by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That though we will never be able to do it perfectly, there was one who went before us who did. And because he did, if your faith is in him, God is not going to look at all the times you fall short. But he's going to look at his record. And he's going to give you that grace as a gift. Let's pray. Thank you for watching our services. If you have questions or you would like more information, you can visit us online at nlspringfield.com. We'd also love to have you join us at one of our Sunday morning services. We have programs at 9.30 and 11 for adults, students, and kids. We hope to see you there.